Hello, friends and listeners of the LeaderCast podcast. This is Mo, the producer, jumping on really quick before this episode starts to let you know that we are going to be wrapping up season one of the podcast. The final episode in season one will be coming out on April 23rd. We are going to be coming back with an even better season two later this year. Stay tuned on our socials for updates as we know more, and thank you for being an avid listener. Some people say, wow, like, how are you this child of alcoholic, single parent, college dropout, and then you became president of Cinnabon. I'm like, wow, there's a lot in between. Welcome to the LeaderCast podcast, a weekly deep dive into the stories that transformed our guests into leaders worth following. I'm your host, Joe Boyd. If you've been enjoying the podcast, thank you so much for being a listener. One simple thing you can do to help us out is give a review wherever you listen. Today's guest is Kat Cole. Kat is a friend of LeaderCast. She's spoken on our main stage several times, has a ton of great content on LeaderCast Now, our online platform that you should definitely check out. In this episode, we will walk through her career, which is the stuff of movies and the American dream. She started off as a hostess at a Hooters restaurant, became a vice president at that company, parlayed that into being the president and COO of Cinnabon and then Focus Brands and now uh, runs a company called Athletic Greens. You're going to love this episode. In particular, there's a point where she will give you a list of three things to make when you're trying to make a major life decision. You'll want to make sure you do that. Make that list. Kat Cole, welcome to the LeaderCast podcast. We are so excited that you're here with us today. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. You are uh, a favorite on our LeaderCast Now platform. I get uh, feedback and emails all the time from folks letting us know that you helped them out. And uh, you've been on our stage two or three times, and we're working to get you back again someday. Uh, so thanks for just being part of our community. And uh, today, we just want to learn a little bit about your your story. It's it's pretty amazing and kind of uh, uh, the successes and, of course, the any setbacks you had along the way so that we can all kind of learn from your journey and uh, kind of get to know you a little better. Yeah, love right. to. Okay, cool. Well, let's. I like to start at the beginning when uh, I would love. I've never asked you this. What a uh, little cat was like uh, as a kid running around. What kind of kid were you? Did you have any like secret ambitions or adventures you wanted to go on when you were when you were younger? What were you like? I. I mean, it's always interesting because my. You know, I don't know if any of us have a really accurate perception of ourselves when we were younger. Um, But, um, you know, what I can remember and what I've heard, you know, my mom and others reflect on is I uh, was a very early reader and speaker, Hmm. like, like three years old. Um, I loved words and communicating. And so that's, you know, that's kind of been a thing for a really long time. Um, as many know, I took on leadership responsibilities at home very early when I was nine years old and my sisters were six and three because we left my dad, um, uh, since he was an alcoholic and my mom had to work three jobs. And so I was, you know, I had a lot of responsibility as a little girl yeah. and I, all I remember about that was thinking it was super cool. And, and I loved just to learn. Yeah, I was a learner. You know, I was into sports. I was a cheerleader, and I was in track and um, gymnastics for a few years. I was in dance for many years until it got too expensive for us, and I loved uh, dancing and tap, jazz, ballet, acrobatics, yeah. and um, so those were a lot of my early 
<clears throat> my very early interests. So uh, you were kind of destined to be a leader in the sense that you were you were sort of made a leader before you even knew what it, what it really was, right? Yeah. Yeah. Was there any, I'm curious, some folks like that, I think you have maybe a time in your adolescence or early life where you, was there a moment where you regretted that or was it, or frustrated by it? Or was it always sort of seen as a positive for you? No, I mean, I'm sure there were moments where I needed to stay home to watch my sisters and I wanted to do something else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But, but when I look back, I, you know, nothing negative stands out. It just, I mean, it started so early. So it was just the way things were. There was no love it or don't love it. It's just, it's just what, the way it was. this is my responsibility. This is our life. Yeah. Um, it was all kinds of cool things about it. I was highly independent. And even though I was following instructions uh, given by my mom to make sure the girls got their dinner and, um, I, you know, my, for my six-year-old sister did her homework or practiced her reading or what, you know, go to bed, take mm-hmm. a bath, like those basic things. There's still a lot of freedom. Yeah. Uh, and that, and I, and, and I thought it was really cool. And I remember my friends um, also admiring it, you yeah, know, even yeah. though it had its downsides, but like, whoa, you're at home by yourself. Whoa, you yeah. get to do those things on your own. And so there's a little bit of a cool factor that I, you know, I appreciated even then. Well, it's just interesting because I didn't actually know or remember that about your childhood. And, and the, um, but I would think of you as sort of a trailblazer and kind of, uh, a, a leader in rooms that people might not expect you to be leading in through your career sometimes. And it, it does just sort of make sense that you were kind of built that way early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so let's, let's jump up a little bit and, and think about when those early career ambitions, uh, if, if you had them, what they were, um, I assume early on you wouldn't have imagined your career the way it went, but maybe you did. So what were your first sort of thoughts about, career and job and what you wanted to do with your life? My first thoughts were, uh, I wanted to be an engineer and a lawyer, neither of which came true. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wanted to be an engineer and specifically chemical engineering, because I remember seeing paint cans in my garage with DuPont chemicals on them. And I remember learning that that was a big company and uh, and I re- also remember then learning that there were engineers that worked there. And so that became something in my early childhood that yeah. I thought sounded very cool. And at the same time, I was told by teachers, you could be a lawyer. Mm-hmm. I was good at debate. I was on the debate team. Yeah. I was a very clear communicator. And so being a lawyer also kind of got put on the list yeah. of professions to aspire to. And I still always thought the idea of maybe not being a professional dancer, but having dancing somewhere in my adult life, whether, you know, I remember in the early days thinking that might've been a professional sports team cheerleader or yeah. a choreographer or something of that nature. That was a little bit in the background and and up until I ended up getting incredible opportunities working at Hooters restaurants, opening franchises very early when I was 19, moving into the corporate office at 20 and, you know, all the things that many yeah. people know that followed up until that point, I was going to college first person in my family to get into college. I was an electrical engineering major uh, and a psychology of women minor. And it was th- those were the choices in pursuit of getting my engineering degree and then going to law school. 
And so up until the point where I had other alternatives, those were the career aspirations that carried me through. I thought I was going to get my engineering degree, go to law school, go to DuPont Chemicals and be an attorney for them. And uh, the universe uh, unlaid a new path for you that you didn't see coming very much. Yeah. Uh, So you do have, for the folks that know your story, it is, you know, those that heard it, know, but a lot of people listening don't. So could you kind of tell us then uh, your origin of story there with uh, with Hooters and how that all kind of came to be? Yeah. So since I started, um, you know, working when I was 15 because of the circumstances that I mentioned, yeah. uh, single parent, working multiple jobs, there's not a lot of money around for basic things like sports and, you know, yeah. optional clothing right. and eventually a car and insurance and gas and saving for college. And so I had to work and I, and I loved working. So I started working in malls when I was 15 and then I got recruited to work as a hostess at Hooters in Jacksonville, Florida, where I grew up when I was 17. So I worked in malls and I was a hostess. And then when I turned 18, while I was still in high school, that made me old enough to be a waitress to legally serve alcohol in the state of Florida. And so I became a, a, a Hooters waitress, a Hooters girl, in addition to the mall shifts. And eventually I dropped the mall shifts because uh, I was making more money as a waitress. And and eventually other roles that I picked up in the restaurant. I learned how to be a bartender. I was running shifts. I even worked some kitchen shifts. And all of that happened um, a bit opportunistically. The bartender needed to go home, so I learned how to be a bartender. The manager needed help, so I learned how to be a shift leader, etc. And that that helped me optimize my income because I had access to every job worth of shifts in the restaurant. And then I graduated high school, got into college, and needed to keep working to pay for college and to live independently. I moved out when I was 18. And then some crazy things happened. The company was growing, and I was offered the opportunity to not only help in other restaurants other than my own that I worked in, other Hooters restaurants in the city, So I got some experience being a trainer and being someone who helped train standards across multiple locations. And and in addition to working these additional jobs, uh, the company called my general manager, Bonnie, and said, we're looking for people who can travel around the world and be a part of our training teams to help us expand our franchises in other countries. She recommended me. Uh, I had never been on a plane. I did not have a passport. I'd only been out of Florida twice in my life for some cheerleading competitions. And yet when I was asked if I was interested, I said yes. And so they put me on the list and uh, to travel to Sydney, Australia. And I bought my first ever plane ticket after I said yes to that opportunity (laughs) to Miami to get my passport expedited. And then a few weeks later, I left and traveled to Australia as a 19 year old as a part of a team to launch the franchise there, came back made up the classes that I missed uh, in, for college and thought it was a once in a lifetime opportunity. And then, uh, and then more opening opportunities came and the company said, we're opening up for the first of our brand in Mexico. Can you go be the part of that team? And of course I said, yes. And so that kept happening every couple of months. I was on it in a different country on a different continent or in a different state in the U S as a part of the training team, very quickly, I became the leader of the training teams, launching the franchises, getting there earlier, getting things set up, working with the owners, setting up the supply chain, interviewing the employees. And before I knew it, I was traveling so much, I was failing college. So at the age of 20, I dropped out just before I finished my second year. 
and was offered a corporate job in Atlanta, which is how I got to Atlanta, to oversee all employee training for the company. And I said yes, packed up a U-Haul. I wasn't even old enough to rent a U-Haul on my own and drove to Atlanta, got a not so great apartment that was near the corporate office. And then fast forward every couple of years, the company grew, I grew, I took on more responsibility. By 26, I was one of the vice presidents in the company when we were doing between seven and 800 million in annual sales. And then I remained on the executive team in various capacities for an additional six years. So with that company in total, just under 15 years, uh, and and really experienced incredible growth, vertically integrated em- enterprise, the launching, running, and shutdown of an airline, um, all kinds of really interesting things in a global growing restaurant company. And uh, and then I'm sure we'll get to it, but I later yeah. left uh, just before 15 years to become the president of Cinnabon, a totally different company owned by a completely different enterprise, but had an amazing almost 15-year run at Hooters with that company, the the lion's share of which was in the corporate office. I was only working in the restaurants for um, two years. Developing world-class leaders in your community is now easier than ever with LeaderCast. In addition to our flagship May event, Becoming a presenting partner allows you to stream multiple events per year, each with an opportunity to earn money. The new LeaderCast lets you invite 1 to 1,000 people with unlimited streaming opportunities. Check out more at LeaderCast.com or the link in our bio. Every time I hear it, is it now now that you've run major restaurant groups even, when you tell your story, is it? Can you step out of it and imagine how, how does this 20 year old uh, young lady get, I assume you're not hiring a lot of 20 year olds to run the whole training of, you know, isn't it, you have enough time to look back on it and just kind of marvel at how, how it all sort of worked out. No. (laughs) Um, Do you need a break? No, no, it just, um, I really don't look back at it in that way. It's just, you know, Life goes on. I appreciate it for what it is. I yeah. recognize that it's unusual, but it's very normal to me. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. it is my life and yeah. it, it is my lived experience. And um, there were a lot of details in between. Some people say, wow, like, how are you this child of alcoholic, single parent, college dropout? And then you became president of Cinnabon. And I'm like, wow, there's a lot in between <laughs> yeah. those two things. I mean, anyone who's listening, think about your life over a decade. And right. how much changes right. and what goes on. And that was true for me. The difference was um, I got started early, right? I started working at 17 yeah. in this company and worked my way up. So I got opportunities very early. It was also a very interesting company in that it was Hooters. So it's not as if there were Wharton MBAs beating down the door to go get a job yeah. there, which meant people in the company like me and many others, not just me, got incredible opportunities for growth and development. The company had to develop from within. And I would argue for many years was one of the best in hospitality and retail at developing internal talent into management and into, you know, corporate leadership roles. The vice president um, that I succeeded, you know, the person I replaced when I became a vice president was also a woman, was also a Hooters girl, had also been like, you know, there were so many of us that were developed from within. So it seems 
unusual from the outside, but because one, it was my life and two, it actually wasn't that unusual in that particular company. Yeah. It's not necessarily marvelous to me. <laughs> it's just like, I, I recognize I had access to incredible opportunities, great leaders who saw potential in me. I was fortunate that I joined a company that was high growth. So there was always some next opportunity needed yeah. to step into. And I'm, um, you know, and my personality was a fit for yeah. the chaos, the uncertainty. Um, and, and as we've already covered, I was in leadership positions from a very young age. Yeah. And so I was well conditioned to lead others, even if they, you know, were more senior than me or had been in the industry more than me. It wasn't, I wasn't learning on the job how to be yeah. a leader. I had a little more practice maybe than the average person. That all makes sense. I, we, uh, I love to think of, uh, we talk about kind of every life is a great story, right? And, and as you say, in your lived experience, sometimes folks see it and sometimes you just live your life and then you have to look back on it and say, oh, wow, I have lived an amazing story. Um, one of the things in like story theory is that they're always – uh, I call it a dragon. A dragon always comes along to try to stop us from getting our treasure. Usually a mentor at that time will show us what's already inside of us to defeat the dragon. Uh, that's how it happens in all the great myths, but it's, it's repeated in everything from like home alone to every SpongeBob episode. Like it's just part of a good story. Right. Um, so I think as you think of that specifically, as you're coming up through your career, uh, could you label any specific dragons that sort of uh, you had to sort of slay for lack of a better word to get where you needed to go uh, and, or any mentors that sort of helped you help you do that. Yeah. A ton of mentors. I mean, uh, you know, Bonnie, the person who I mentioned who hired me was and gave me incredible opportunities, coaching and feedback as a young employee, a woman named Cheryl, who was the vice president of training and development at the time, saw me teaching a class in a workshop and picked me out of a group and said, you know, she's got the skills we need on these training teams and and really accelerated my opportunities. Kimmy and Colleen, who were the vice president and director, respectively, whenever uh, shortly after I joined the corporate office, gave me incredible mentorship and partnership and friendship. And and the list goes on. Yeah. Um, Toby, the CEO, you know, believed in me and gave me incredible access to high level decision making um, and treated me like a CEO in training, even though I didn't see it that way. Yeah. And the list of those folks is very long and people outside the company, Phil Hickey, who was a great mentor outside of that company in the restaurant industry. And, um, so many people on the women's food service forum board. I was on that board of directors for 10 years. I was the chair of the board and incredible leaders, who were exceptional executives in their own right of major companies, but who were giving up their time like I was to elevate and educate women and provide professional development for the food service industry. And so I learned so much from them. Uh, and so th that list is very, very long. The list of dragons is definitely short and almost hard to think of because I'm thinking about the mentors is like staring into the sun where, you know, if there was something in my way, it was, yeah. Small and light. yeah. Um, but certainly there were executives who didn't love the fact that someone 30 years their junior was coming in being their 
here. And it, you know, it was yeah. unusual and difficult for them. And therefore they became unusual and difficult yeah. um, to work with. And so I had those, I, you know, I had some of those dynamics to navigate that are very real when there's a lot of difference between humans, that's very obvious. And it takes time to work your way through those. Um, you know, there were many moments as I was tenured with the company that I thought is now the time to leave when I was there for six years, seven years, yeah. eight years, I was getting recruited by many other companies. And yet I realized my currency is learning and no other company, even if it's more fancy or larger or less controversial, no other company could give me the learning, the complexity, the diversity. I mean, we own so many different companies yeah. at Hooter. Yeah. Um, I mean, an airline, casinos, our own food manufacturing, our own distribution, our own merchandising company, our own marketing assets company. The ability to be in all of that and live multiple professional lives at once was irreplaceable. Yeah. And both from an education and an experience standpoint. And so, but there were definitely moments where I thought, is this going to be it, you know, forever? <laughs> Am I going to be here forever? Right. Um, or, and it, you know, like many things, when it was time, I knew. And up until that point, I made the most of every mistake, every challenging person that I encountered, every great mentor that I had. So it was really an incredibly rich experience. I, I can hear listeners yelling questions like from their cars as they're commuting right now. Because I, I think you said when you knew, you knew, but I, I'm sure a ton of people right now are trying to figure that out. Like is, uh, how do you know? When you know, you know is great, but how do you know when you know? Like what, what was going on in your life when you made the jump that felt like, okay, this is different? One, I noticed in myself that it was taking, you know, more effort to find challenges. I was so senior in my role. I'd been there for so long in one company and you can always learn anything anywhere. I can learn in a box. Right. Um, but it was getting harder to find increasing challenges and and challenges in a good way, not necessarily problems, but learning, growth. Yeah. And, um, and so that is usually a sign that if you're paying attention to yourself, everyone has different tells. Yeah. Maybe your energy is low. Maybe you would call it you're not as motivated. Maybe you procrastinate more. Or maybe you just recognize that something feels a bit mundane and there's not as much energy. So it's different for every person. So that crept up over time. And actually that crept up over time a few times, but then I found new opportunity within the within, company. Yeah. Sometimes the next opportunity is in fact in the company. Yeah. And obviously I was there for 15 years. So that was true for me many times over. Every two years I had a different role with increasing responsibility, sometimes every 18 months. And so I found a lot of growth, but once you're at the top, top, you know, there's not a lot of places right. to go, yeah. Yeah. aren't new roles necessarily. And so that is part of how many people begin to know and begin to reflect. Then there was just having, taking the time for conscious reflection. Um, what do I want? Uh, what would be great for me? What is the highest and best use of my talents. And then I developed a framework that I use to help other people make big life decisions or navigate big career um, decisions. That's just a, a three columns 
of lists that you make. One is financial. So you start with money. Like, what is my financial opportunity? What are my financial needs? Where do I want to be? I mean, that's a big component of life decisions, whether you're looking to move to a place with lower living expenses or get a job or an opportunity with more flexibility or an opportunity with more income, more ownership versus salary, right? Like all of the the money column. Yeah. So I would just find out how do I feel about my opportunity here? What might be my opportunities elsewhere? What are my needs? What are my wants? Not pie in the sky. I want a bazillion dollars tomorrow, but next couple of years. Then the second column is about ego and optics um, and affiliations. So what brand, you know, we all grow as people. So what journey am I on and what brands do I want to be affiliated with? And do I need or want to be with a big company? Does it matter if a company is well-known or not? What about startups? What if I lead a small team versus a big team? It does the company need to be good for the planet or not, right? These are the things that are ego optics and affiliation. Uh, Am I proud of what I do, how I do it, et cetera, and what might better look like and how aligned am I in that? So you make that list and that's, you know, I made the list. And then the third column is capabilities. And there's two sub parts to that. Where, what are the skills and what are the opportunities where I can demonstrate what I know incredibly well? So where can I shine? And then the opposite, where can I learn new things hmm. that I don't currently have the ability um, to get exposure to? What's that list of things I want exposure to? And then you step back and say, is that possible in my current situation? And if not, can I make it possible in my current situation? Can I ask for new roles? Can I take on more responsibility? Can I move? Can I raise my hand? Can I change things? And if not, then it naturally leads you to, well, what are the other opportunities that might make more of these on this list either more true or have the potential to be more true. And I, I've published this on my Substack along with a bunch of other principles and it's helped a lot of people. And I do it every, every time I'm thinking about a big life decision and um, anytime there's a life change or an opportunity. So there's a, you know, a framework that can help you think about just where you are and see how things stack and, or if there's a specific opportunity you're considering, you can fill out this list and pair that opportunity up against it and see how it meets. And and then, you know, everything, most things have some form of trade-offs. So you're, you need to understand what's most important to you and smash them together. What if you got an opportunity that meets your financial needs, but not the ego and optics needs? Yeah. Or an opportunity that uh, meets the ego and optics needs, but you don't really get to learn a lot more. You can only go to that company if you only do what you've been doing for yeah. 10 years. Right. So, you know, you got to put that together. And, and, and then for me, it's just doing a really great job while I'm anywhere. I have a phrase, um, you're on my team until you're not, and I'm on your team until I'm not which means I'm all in, even if I'm feeling these things and contemplating and considering something else. And often that leads to great opportunities coming your way as well. Sometimes when we're in a funk or we're reflecting or things are changing, we that can show up in our work. And then we actually lose access to opportunities because it is affecting the way we show up in a way we might not appreciate. So I try to you know, still make sure I'm all in, even when I'm going through this contemplative thinking about a change phase. That's some good stuff right there. That's that's worth the uh, price of the podcast, which is free, but it's still a way way worth it. Um, and did 
uh, you mentioned your Substack. Is there a place online where folks can get access to that now? Yeah, they can just Google Cat Cole Substack or okay. Cat Cole. It, it's called Checking In, so okay. it's an archive of my, um, of my principles. Cool. Uh, a lot of people going to be making three lists today. I have a feeling. So that was that was awesome. Uh, before we run out of time, I don't. I want to make sure we get to like you know the rest of your career uh, and not brush over it too quickly. Uh, but you end up going to Cinnabon because evidently you either do this three list in real life or in your head and make that decision. Uh, and then that obviously leads to even greater growth within that company. Um, could you take us just through that stage of your career just quickly? And I, I'm wondering, we talked about dragons, but you, the culture of Hooters allowed you to, you, you said all the great things it allowed you to do. Obviously, no matter what, the culture is going to be different in a new place. So I'm curious about that adjustment and maybe any, any new dragons or problems or obstacles that had to be overcome as you, as you switch uh, yeah, so I um, got recruited to interview to be the president of Cinnabon in 2010, was offered the job, but we were selling Hooters at the time into private equity. And so I told them I couldn't start right away and they held the job for me until October. So offered me the role in April or May and held it until October so I could help steward the sale of the company. And, um, and that became you know, a 10 year chapter at Focus Brands. I became president of Cinnabon, uh, turned it around in the heart of the recession, which was challenging and rewarding. I was in that role for three years. I then became group president of an innovation division in the company called Global Channels, which was our CPG licensing and e-commerce business, which is what got me into consumer products and grocery and retail. And did that for two years, then hired a successor for that role and moved on to being group or president and COO of the parent company. So all nine presidents of all brands and divisions reporting to me, billions in sales, 80 countries, 100,000 points of retail distribution, um, over 7,000 brick and mortar locations of our own brands, corporately owned and franchised. And I was in that role for almost four years. So 10 years total. And then, um, and just incredible, incredible culture. And it's just different, right? It's not necessarily better or worse. I mean, the interesting thing was I was joining as a president of a brand. So now I'm in charge um, of everything in the business, but there were other brands in the portfolio. So the learning was still next level because while I'm running one type of brand like Cinnabon, I'm getting to learn from Paul, who was the president of Moe's and getting to learn from Kelly, who was the president of Schlotzky's and Gary, who was the head of supply chain and licensing and went through, you know, had three CEOs in the time that I was there and tremendous growth. We acquired multiple brands while I was there, Auntie Anne's, McAllister's, Jamba Juice. So learning diligence and acquisitions and then integration and the technological journey we went on. And so the learning still was next level. It was just different. Um, and, but private equity owned versus privately held, um, so more rigor around uh, financial reporting and profitability and growth commitments, uh, mostly franchised and multiple brands. So that brought about different, both beautiful aspects to the work and more challenging aspects to the work. And uh, yeah, so that yeah, that's how I think about it. The, the, the dragons or the things that were difficult were, you know, it's multiple brands and and sometimes you need to make a decision that works for most, yeah. which means it doesn't work for everyone. Yeah. And 
I would say that is a theme of the dragons. And when you're in that kind of a business yeah. is getting really good at understanding and being confident and comfortable and graceful in the few decisions that need to be made globally in appreciating and understanding that there are some that it may not advantage. And there may even be some that it slightly disadvantages in yeah. exchange for advantaging a large majority of the system. And that could be anything like a technology solution, um, a policy, a procedure, a financial structure, um, a legal contract element. The businesses were all very, very different. So for the most part, we're making brand specific decisions, but there are some that needed to be system wide in order to provide benefit. And, you know, those moments were incredibly challenging, knowing that you can't make everyone super happy all the time. Yeah. That is exactly what I wanted to ask you about because as as your career grows, your your leadership has a ripple effect to hundreds, thousands of people that you will never even meet potentially, right? All over the world. Um, and I I know you well enough to know you're a humanitarian and that you love people and that you, you're a good person. So as you emotionally, like, what did you learn as you as you realize your life as a leader has greater influence than maybe you would have predicted? Who knows? But like. Emotion, were there emotional things that you did to kind of ground, uh, center yourself maybe through all that? I mean, really just the act of one staying rooted in my own values and making sure I'm staying in, you know, in connected to those and fueling those values and living aligned with my values, which change over time. Yeah. And, but in practice, it's more about just staying close to the action, talking to employees, talking to franchisees, just keeps you connected to what's really going on. And that is certainly a theme of my leadership style and approach. And it, it helps with the emotional side because you're staying connected yeah. to reality and what matters. And so if things are hard, you feel it and you want to make it better and if there's someone doing something really great, you get to see it and be proud and help amplify that. And if, if someone's doing something that's um, not great for the business, then you have an opportunity and the responsibility to address it and correct it. I think the harder part was, yes, on one, on one hand, in a bigger company, in a higher level role, my leadership had ripples and affected people who I would never meet. At the same time, because there are so many layers of leadership, there were people who led differently than me. Mm. Not bad, just differently. Yeah. And finding that sweet spot of keeping, again, comes back to values, the values and the strategic intent similar and appreciating that the path to the work might be slightly different. And that gets harder. And in bigger companies, global it takes a little bit of time to learn when something or someone isn't what it should be. Yeah. Even if I'm still me leading with integrity from the top in any company, there's no way to avoid a bad actor. Yeah. Someone going through a tough time, someone who doesn't have the coping mechanisms to navigate what the company is going through. And when they're put in a position to lead, they, they can't. Yeah. And so that's, that's tough, right? That's, because you don't have the control. You have to lead through influence versus command and control. Mm. Well, thank you so much for uh, all your time. And folks, uh, you do have a ton of great content on LeaderCast now that folks can access as well. Uh, before you leave, I know you, uh, you've been uh, 
president, CEO of Athletic Greens for a year or two here. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about what you're, what you're doing these days? Yeah, so I uh, am. I get the great honor of running one of the, if not the fastest growing nutrition companies in the world, uh, Athletic Greens, uh, affectionately called AG, famous for a foundational nutrition product, essentially a one-stop shop supplement, one scoop, shake it in water, and it is your multivitamin. There's a full multivitamin in it. Um, fresh fruits and veggies, all powdered and organic and amazing for what you might miss. Probiotics and prebiotics, uh, adaptogens. Basically, it's a gut health product and it helps get the micronutrients that many of us miss, even if we eat healthily um, in our busy lives. And it supports digestion and energy and immunity. And it is literally made with the highest quality ingredients and the most strict third party standards of evaluation. And it's very cool to be powering millions of mornings. People, most people wake up and drink AG1, like wake up, brush your teeth, drink AG1. Uh, and it's really cool to be powering healthier habits for people around the world. And we continue to grow very quickly. It's a fully remote company. It's e-commerce only. Most of our customers are subscribers because it is a daily drink, a daily product. And uh, it's very cool to be running a fully modern, built for the future health and nutrition company that is changing people's lives. And if you start your day with one healthy habit, it tends to fuel other healthy habits. So some of the benefits we hear our customers talk about, I'll often say, look, we can't take credit for all of it. But yes, because you're starting your morning with this, you're probably less likely to eat or drink more sugar. You're probably more likely to go on that walk. You are less likely to have that 2 p.m. slump that then you'll want to yeah. you know, eat or drink poorly to navigate. And so it's kind of cool being the foundation of people's nutrition stack that helps them on a health journey, whether they're athletes or fitness enthusiasts or just people like me who are looking to live long and strong um, for themselves and their family. I can immediately see how that's all three of your columns and mm-hmm. a perfect fit for where you are right now. On a personal note, when I first took over LeaderCast two years ago, uh, you gave me a free one-hour consult on the phone. <laughs> I didn't position it that way. I tricked you into it, I think. But uh, it was uh, amazing and some of the best advice I'd been given in a long time. So personally, just thank you for being a friend of LeaderCast and for caring about me and the company. Uh, it's a big deal. And uh, I'm so grateful that we have this time together and hope to see you soon. Awesome. My pleasure. Okay. Thanks, Kat. Bye-bye. In today's ultra-competitive job market, top-tier talent are leaving companies in search of top-tier professional development. Now more than ever, you must invest in your emerging leaders. LeaderCast 365 is a world-class professional development system featuring access to three annual LeaderCast events, a post-event journey to activate the inspiration and insights gained from LeaderCast events, plug-and-play lunch-and-learn programs with group discussion questions, concise video courses to address weaknesses and build upon strengths, and our library of more than 1,200 short-form videos from a slate of industry experts organized into 16 key professional development categories. Invest in your all-star employees and attract new top talent to join them with LeaderCast 365.